Between the kids being home and hosting, everything in our house gets used up in summer. With Instacart, I can save money by stocking up on all my favorite summer brands. I save time by getting everything delivered in as fast as an hour. And I save myself a sink full of dirty dishes by stocking up on paper plates for the annual summer cookout. Save more on summer essentials? Spend more time enjoying summer. Add summer to cart. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to The Final Four is Not on the Schedule. I'm your host, Eric, alongside with expert analyst, Rod. Thanks for joining us on the best MSU basketball podcast featuring an in-depth recruiting, game matchup, and post-game analysis. We dive deep to give you the best tools to enjoy the Spartans and impress your friends and family. All right, we're back, and that was another nail-biter. I feel like we get a lot of those this season, and this time of year... Oh, I tell you what, I feel like I have to drink an entire bottle of Pepto-Bismol to get some, through some of these games, and our team <laughs> really, really keeps us on the edge, but it, what looked pretty sketchy, they are probably late in the second half, we were down, what, four or five points, and things looked like they're all going Davidson's way, just turned around, and it really, from there, from that on point, we just started playing good defense, and really locked them down, and started scoring, and it, the game turned around. Yeah, I, I thought... You know, in a, in a one point win, you can point to a lot of things, but I I think two things were critical in that stretch. And you're right; it was about five or six minutes to play. It was it was feeling like we were maybe one more Davidson three away from it tilting, and instead, Michigan State got some great quarterbacking from AJ Hogard, um, just fantastic, and as you said, turned the intensity on defense up about five notches and although some of that was undone late by Davidson hitting some forced threes um, it, it doesn't erase the memory of that to me I think Michigan State's defense down the stretch is what won them this game and yeah. team-wide thing because as we said in the preview Davidson makes you guard one through five you can't relax on anybody they've got on the floor even the even the kid that came in shooting 16 percent from three hit a three tonight so (laughs) it's just you just you can't do it and and you know msu did just well enough in handling pressure only one turnover um did just well enough in hitting free throws surprisingly you know missed three down or two down the stretch i guess it was gabe missed one and uh joey hauser missed one um but again, they hit enough of them, including free throw from uh, AJ Hogarth, which was big. Um, yeah. two of them uh, to uh, to just barely eke out that one point win. But at this time of year, it doesn't matter. Not about style points or victory margins. It's about advancing in that bracket. They did that, and now uh, we await the. I believe they said the seventh. Well, this, I think it's the sixth. Yeah. K matchup the seventh since 1994 between Michigan state and Duke, because I believe, well, that might not be right. It might be the seventh between Izzo and, and Krzyzewski. Yeah. Well, they said 94. That's when, yeah. I mean, Izzo started what 95. It had, it would have to be then. But MSU played Duke. Maybe it was not, it had to be, 
No, it would have been it would have been 1994 because it would have been Sean Respert's junior year. So I think one of those they beat Seton Hall in the first round and then lost to Duke and Grant Hill. So I think I think the first of those seven they were mentioning was actually against Judd. I'd have to go back and look at the records to be sure, but I think that's the case. We'll look back before uh, we do our preview for the the next game. Exactly. Um, yeah. So I think you know general impressions of that game. Uh, I think Michigan State was real gritty, and I think the games that drive us crazy during the regular season, like the the end of the Maryland game and the Big Ten tournament, the opening round. Yeah. You felt a lot better about the team. I think, although that was a complete meltdown in that Maryland game, you felt like they've seen this. They've seen high pressure, high stakes, one and done sort of end of game things. And, and now you also have Tyson Walker on the floor, which an extra ball handler. You just, I mean, at least personally, I felt a lot better at that in that situation. I mean, obviously we had a big lead too, which helps like, you know, a couple of possession leads. So you, even if you mess up once with they did once that one inbounds pass to from hall to Gabe Brown, they just missed. But I, I don't know. I mean, I just felt like we've seen that we've gone through that, the, the, the fire at least once and you can, you can overcome that and you're going to hit the freezes and, you know, shooting free throws, especially Joey Hauser. I mean, maybe we just start there because Joey Hauser was spectacular. I mean, the entire game, first half, sometimes you, we, this season we see someone play real well in the first half and they kind of fade in the second. I mean, Joey was on the entire game and I mean, he was scored on a couple times, but you know, there's isolation one-on-ones. I, I don't really hold much against him for those. I, I think it's the best game of his career easily, easily when you consider the stakes. I mean, the only other contender was probably Wisconsin last year, but that was a loss in a regular season game. It doesn't compare. Um, yeah, he was spectacular. But I want to go back before we talk about the individuals. I, I want to go back to what you were saying about pressure. I, I had two thoughts about that. One is I think you're right, but I don't think it's just the players. I think the coaches got it straight. Robbie Hummel in that Maryland game absolutely nailed it. If you remember, he was talking about the fact that Michigan State had its inbound options, the pass recipients, bunched way too closely to the baseline. And the reason that's mm-hmm. true is Michigan State, like a lot of teams anymore, back, back in my day, a century ago, you used to see picks, screens were very commonly used on inbound plays. Think about the last time you actually saw that done. And I think the reason that teams shy away from it, it may be, it'd be interesting to ask Izzo, but it may be that they're too afraid of getting an offensive foul call. Yeah, sure. Um, which is a legitimate fear the way they call moving screens now. You'd flip a coin as to whether they're going to call it or not on any given screen. Um, but uh, so what that means is you're basically relying on the offensive player to use the fact that he has the advantage of knowing where he's going to create separation from the defender, right? If you've got very little room between you and the baseline, there's just not enough room to get that separation. Robbie Hummel nailed it in that game. It was a big part of the problem against Maryland. Since then, they haven't repeated it. They they were facing pressure late in the Wisconsin game, if you remember. They didn't have any problems with it, really, because they adjusted. If you look at this game, they clearly adjusted. They were starting guys well up high in the backcourt. Um, and then even then you had plays like the one where Joey caught the pass, just kind of streaking down the middle. You couldn't see him on the screen. He might've been in the forecourt to start with. For right. Yeah. Um, so that was a big, big positive adjustment. And I think it's that plus just having seen it helped 
because we know in the Big Ten you don't see much full court pressure. It's just not some end of game situations is really it. And for whatever reason, MSU just never faced a lot of those. So I think you're right about that. They've solved that. The other comment I do want to make, though, is, and again, I thought it was a really good adjustment. Um, I love Malik Hall. I think think there is an all-Big Ten player in Malik Hall, and I hope we see it next year because I think he has that kind of ability. It's a matter of him getting his head together enough to consistently believe he is that guy. Uh, But. So having said that, I love him. think he's a great talent, a lot of potential still, untapped. Uh, he should not be the inbounder, ever. He yeah. has not shown, he is just not in those situations because he was a guy that was at fault some in the Maryland debacle as well. Uh, I think it was a great coaching move to get him out, get A.J. Hogart in. The, the concern, the reason you don't have Hogart on the floor is he's a 62% free throw shooter. But if he's the founder in that situation, Davidson is not, it's too late in the game for Davidson to be trapping and kind of trying to force a turnover. They're going to foul if you catch the inbound. So you're totally safe having him as the inbounder. And I just trust him a lot more as the inbounder in those situations. He's just a more natural passer. And sure enough, they didn't have any more problems in that. that. Yeah. So I think. Yeah, I think it was. I agree that AJ and AJ was key there. I mean, he's a natural passer anyway, and the and I think having a Hauser instead of uh, initiating the play receive on the receiving end, he's yep. a big target out there. He moves well, and especially against a you know an undersized team in general and one that's not super athletic. I think you definitely have an advantage there on the inbound. And again, you had a couple possessions to play with, so if something kind of goes wrong, you're not there's not as much pressure. And to your point, you can't trap at that point. You have to foul right away because you need as many shots and possessions as possible if you're Davidson. The, the clock was Davidson's biggest enemy at that stage. So you knew they weren't going to try to scramble and trap you into a turnover. They were either going to get a turnover on the inbound pass or they were going to foul. Yeah. So I guess let's talk about let's talk about Joey because, I mean, you've already talked about him. He, he was – I mean, he was really good. I think, you know, Joey and AJ were the, the two stars offensively, and I think – in some ways, AJ is really good defensively too. I mean, he really yeah. gobbled up a lot of their guards. He was really solid. Absolutely. Uh, with, with you know Hauser, as we said a few moments ago, uh, best game of his career. There's no doubt about that. Uh, he was just dialed in, and you know the shooting is one thing, and it was huge. His makes to me, a lot of them seem to be. It, this is easy to say in a game that I don't think the lead ever got bigger than eight. And most of it was played probably within about a three or four point margin. Oh, yeah. But but even having said that, it just seemed to me that a lot of Joey Hauser's baskets seemed like big ones momentum wise. They seemed like they were either stages where it pushed Michigan State to a working margin or it brought Michigan State back from a deficit and made sure that Davidson wasn't going to be able to pull away. Um, so it, it, hats off to him. I'm with something that you said. I thought he actually played really well defensively. I thought he worked. You know, their their big kid uh, had a stretch in the second half where he was maybe not quite as unstoppable as some of the Big Ten fives we've seen this year, but getting there. He was really giving Michigan State problems. And when MSU went small down the stretch, those last five or six minutes, he kind of disappeared. And part of that was due to the fact that I thought Joey was really active 
Um, I don't know how many rebounds did he end up with. I don't know what his rebound total was, but yeah, I'll check with Joey. I mean, I think one key there with Joey too, and and that defensively with um, uh, with is it Brockovich is yeah. his name, right? Yeah. Uh, is I think you know he was able to occasionally front him, and he's fast, quick enough to kind of get around enough in the front of him to make those those entry passes a lot more difficult for them. And that, I think that was that's you it. know I think maybe got some turnovers, uh, at least some deflected balls. It, it, Davis only had eight turnovers for the game, but I feel like he disrupted enough and forced Brockovich to come out and catch the ball outside the arc, which, you know, he can do something out there, but I think he needs a little time. My guess is I'm not having someone watched a lot of Davidson basketball, well, but he's not a guy who's going to, going to turn on a, you know, come around a curl and hit a three on you. But so I, you know, and he wasn't going to drive on you. Right. I think from that yeah. far out on, on Joey. So that, that really neutralized because yeah, he sort of was, he about five, six straight possessions. He was scoring just like at will. And it's like, there was no answer with, and then suddenly they forced him out and just caused enough disruption that he wasn't able to do much. Yeah. I mean, yeah Joey finished with, uh, with uh, eight rebounds, two on the offensive side and six that, defensive boards. Great. Yeah, he led the team and a couple or tied with Marcus. Yeah. A couple of those um, he may not have even gotten credit for were plays where he deflected the ball out and MSU's guards got an offensive rebound. Uh, he was just acting. There was that play late where the Jones kid, uh, they, they, they missed a shot. I think they missed a shot, got a rebound, and the ball got swung to Jones. There's a good shooter in the corner. This was late in the game. And you saw Joey come flying just yes. get uh, some kind of half contest, and the kid hit the side of the backboard. Now, I'm not suggesting that Joey caused that, but it was it was emblematic of the way that he played this game. He was everywhere. His effort level was high and his execution was just dialed in. So easily the player of the game, both sides, no question. He was the best player on the floor tonight. Yeah, I think, and when you look at defensively, I think we struggled early in the, in the first half, actually throughout the entire first half with guarding the arc, you know, on the threes, which is one of the keys for the game. Obviously there were a number of times that a Moringa was number three would be left wide open. I mean, on, on I'm not sure if they're like people, they drive the lane a little bit and kick out and he was, and then to your point, you know, Joey's flying like a madman, not fouling, just like being disruptive and distracting. And a couple of those in the first half, that guy, that Moringa just, he just hit sort of calmly, just shoots threes with no one even challenging him and making it difficult or like make, give him something to think about. And so I think that was, they were definitely much more connected. And really, I think by that once, we're down four, I think, and that's really when, and it looked like it was going to get a little out of hand. That's right when the defensive pressure and the connection started forcing like almost 30 seconds every possession for Davidson. They really, they really were challenging, and that's, that was the difference, I think. Two straight possessions where MSU forced shot clock violations right around that time you were talking about, and that that told the story. I mean, that they were that solid, and Dave, look, I, this is no surprise. We knew this. Davidson is a very, very efficient team. We talked about it. They they most resemble in style the Wisconsin teams that Bo Ryan had that shot the ball very well. They're, they're reminiscent of that. They're a little different. They're not as physical as those teams, but they remind me of that in terms of the fact they value the ball, they shoot it very well. They're going to take you deep in the shot clock, but they're still going to get a good shot. So they test you. And, and like those Wisconsin teams often had, they've got fours and fives who can shoot from the perimeter as well. So it's truly a one through five deal. You've got to guard these guys um, for 30 seconds. And Davidson will test you. And they did test Michigan State. One thing I was happy about 
is that MSU, I don't think they got backdoored once in this game. Not that I can recall. Um, if they did, it was minimal on minimal occasions. And that's, I think they just got a uh, pick and rolls where they sort of slipped past the, yeah. and there's no one in, in back. That was probably that had that one guard came in to replace a lawyer uh, early. And, but they probably did it maybe four or five times the entire game. It wasn't a yeah. lot. And that's, that's again, that's something against a team like that. You, we didn't talk about it much or at all in the preview, but we probably should have because that's a danger when you're playing a team like that. That's that discipline. Everybody passes the ball well, and they're you because they run a motion offense. Everybody's used to constant motion. They're constantly moving, and they shoot so well that you've got to play up on them. You can't leave guys open for jumpers from deep. So it all adds up to a scenario where if you are not locked in, you can get backdoored to death. And Michigan State did not let that happen. They might have let Davidson get a few more good looks at three than they would have wanted. But uh, from three, then they would have wanted to. But the flip side of that is they were really responsible the entire game. I, I, I didn't think there just weren't those mental errors or breakdowns that you worry about facing a team that is that precise and that disciplined offensively. So hats off to Emmett. Yeah. Thanks for that. Yeah, I mean, I think we saw what we kind of expected. David, the teams that are pretty even, Ken Palm, right? They're uh, and and they were very they're a very good team. I mean, there's no question about it. And I think we were able to exploit them just enough to catch up. And it seemed to take a while to get get going. And honestly, you know, if you look at our team early this season, we were hitting threes at much higher clip. And really, the last three four games, we've really not been shooting real well from outside. I mean, thank goodness Joey was hitting three some games. because and Gabe Gabe hit a couple. You know, Gabe had uh, he's three of eight, and Joey is four of six, and then everybody else was over. I think, I mean, it was at one point it was five, we we're five of 22. What was, and, what was I the mean, final percentage? What was the final percentage? Seven of, tw- seven of 26. So was that, yeah. that is uh, a yeah. little over 30%. That's, I mean, it's yeah. pretty awful. But what I mean, did Davidson, so Davidson, it, what's interesting is, you know, watching that game, you really felt like, or at least I felt like Davidson was shooting really well in the first half and the second half they felt a lot better. Because I felt like every time we got a stop it was almost like a miracle that you got you uh, forced to miss, and they shot forty eight percent, almost forty nine percent in the second half. They shot uh, three pointers. So first half they were shooting forty four percent from three. So they were four of nine. In the second half they were six for sixteen, for at thirty seven percent. But they shot otherwise they were um, ten for ten for seventeen for twos in that uh, in the second half. So they were real efficient inside. Uh, so they were shooting a very good clip, but then, you know, to that counter is we shot 50% from the field in the second half, which was huge. And then yeah. still, I mean, 23% from three, I mean, three of 13, pretty if, awful. If I had a criticism of MSU in this game and it's, we, we did touch on this in the preview, Davidson gives up a lot of threes and they typically give up a high percentage. They, they didn't tonight. Um, but MSU hit just enough of them, as you alluded to, that they, they got it done. Uh, but I had hoped that Michigan State would do more damage in the paint. And the thing that I struggled with, and there must have been, I'm assuming it was a defensive missed assignment that I just didn't lock in on that led to it. Because if you heard uh, on the broadcast, I said that A.J., sat for a long stretch in the second half because he was getting an earful from Izzo. Had to be a defensive 
assignment that was blown. I just don't remember what it was. Um, but I was, I was actually disappointed that we didn't see more of AJ because I didn't think they had a particularly good answer for him as we, no. you know, uh, I thought he played very, very well in that game. You mentioned he was good defensively and I agree. I think for the most part, he was pretty damn solid. He, he was, he and, and Tyson Walker had the foster lawyer assignment and look, say what you want about that game. Michigan state held foster lawyer in check. You know, he got some things done, but not a lot and not as much as he normally does. And that's a credit to those guys. And then offensively, as I said, uh, near the beginning of our discussion, I think that burst at around the five or six minute mark where MSU went from whatever it was four down to the lead had a lot to do with AJ Hogard on offense. I think he was making things very, very easy for his teammates. So he ended up with what? 14. He ended with 14. Yeah. He was six and nine from the field. Oh, for two for three. I think one of those was like a was hand grenade sort of last second, you know, shot clock yeah. thing. But the other one is an open three that he just, you know, missed. Yeah. Um, how many assists turnover? He had only two assists and two turnovers. God. So, you know, I, I, he, th- he had the one that he just passed right into someone's, I can't remember someone's hands in Davidson. It was just like a really dumb pass. Yes. It was like a short pass into the corner. I wonder if he said after that, maybe that was it. I, I can't recall exactly him coming out. It's always hard. It's funny when I'm at the games, it's a lot easier for me to keep track of things. It's really hard when I'm <laughs> watching TV sometimes because he goes to commercial and then next thing you know, someone else it's, is in. It's possible, but man, that's that's not Izzo's style. Izzo normally is pulling guys and sitting them because of something they do in the defensive end. I know the yeah. people talking about, he kind of got into an open space to the right of the lane and he had somebody in the corner but he also had well, he had three people. He had three people. He had house. He had three people open. Rim. Yeah, right behind him. Yeah, he wasn't looking that way. Um, but man, I'm surprised it's only two assists because I felt like he was doing more distributing than that gives him credit for. Uh, but uh, just phenomenal game from him when it mattered most, I think. And yeah, and I feel like Michigan State actually left some stuff on the table because he sat so long. Tyson Walker played a reasonable game. He, I think he gave Michigan State as much as you could have asked for, given the injury, you know, what we thought the concerns were. I didn't think he looked bothered, for whatever it's worth in this game, by the by the ankle. Um, so Tyson did some good things, but I really felt like this was this was a game A.J. could have scored 20. If he, yeah. Or because I just didn't think Davidson had an answer for him. Well, you saw them pull uh, Foster Lawyer out early in that game. I think even before they hit the four-minute mark of the yep. game because he was just a turnstile there. There's just nothing he could do to stop AJ. And I mean, I think he missed a couple layups early, but it would could have he could have had like the first six the first uh, six points there because Foster just couldn't stop him. Yeah, exactly. The problem with Foster, and you know, this was true during his MSU career. Even if he's doing a, you know, you mentioned a turnstile, he doesn't even have to be a turnstile. He can actually be guarding the guy reasonably well. It's just he's not going to be big enough to bother A.J. Hogarth at the rim. He just physically does not have the size necessary to do it. You know, the, the one thing that he got to be pretty good at at MSU for a time was a knack for drawing charges, but we, we didn't see him really doing that in this one. Now, speaking of drawing charges, I want to ask you what you thought. <laughs> Malik call play where he drew the charge. I have no, and I love Bill Rafferty. Bill Rafferty is my favorite color guy has been for forever. 
I think Grant Hill is pretty good if kind of milk toasty. I have no idea what those guys thought they were watching. Because to oh, whether that was a charge or not, yes. yeah, I don't, I don't understand it. I and I have no idea. That's why a charge. Officials that long. It was clear before contact was made. His right foot had gotten out of the circle. That's it. And and finally, Sterator, who I wish still officiated because he was actually a good official. Um, he finally, when they got the right angle, he nailed it. But they they were still in disbelief on the broadcast. Like to me, it wasn't even a close call. It was obvious. Yeah, I, I don't understand. Um, all I could say is, I guess there there is you have to be outside the cylinder. Like you can't just have your feet outside and be sort of leaning back in or or kind of with your you know butt over the line and stuff. And so I guess that, but it it didn't take many reviews to, reviews to see that that was clearly not the case. That he was outside, and I I guess this is just my ignorance. I guess with the charging call with the circle, I thought if you're not making a play to the basket and you're just like running in there and just slam into someone and you pass it out, that it's just because there's some guys in the circle, you can't just like run them over because he clearly initiated the contact I mean, contact. Right. I mean, there's, I, yeah. I had a hard time. I, I do think, I do think on that play, uh, there was enough. I think he was trying to pass it. If I remember correctly. Oh yeah. He's passing to the guy behind yeah. Malik Hall. Yeah. Up there in terms of hit, being a basketball play that I, I think if Malik had a foot in the cylinder, uh, it would have been properly called a block, but he didn't. It was very clear when they went to the one angle looking straight on and why it took them whatever it was. I mean, I'm glad they got it right, but in the end, but wow. And, and you know, for a while we're on that subject, I guess, you know, normally in the <laughs> you expect you have to earn your way in. I assume most people know this, but officials get graded every game and, they reward the guys who grade out the best with NCAA tournament games. And I, my own personal opinion, we can all think of horribly botched calls. The one where Gordon Hayward fouled Draymond Green in the final four. I mean, we've all got our, yeah. but by and large, I think at least from a Michigan state fans perspective, I think that the officiating generally gets better in the tournament because they let them play more. It doesn't tend to be the foul fest that we see in the big Ten. But this crew, wow, wow, wow. I mean, the foster lawyer play near the end, which could have ended up being oh. on a clear travel. Just, oh, like, yeah. Not even. He's sliding on the floor. How did you not call that? <laughs> I, I don't understand. That one and then the stuff that's a little more subjective, but only a little. I thought that MSU generated a lot of contact at the rim that was not called. Whereas the other end of it, Davidson got a lot of calls around the rim. And I have no idea why there was a difference. You and I had a brief exchange during the game along the yeah. lines. I mean, there was the one that was the most egregious to me was Malik Hall got the ball around right at the rim. Oh, yes. Yeah. And essentially airballs it. How do you think that happens if he's not, <laughs> not silly? I mean, it's ridiculous. There were a lot of those. There were actually a lot of makes. AJ had a couple late that should have been and ones in my book, and they just were not called. Again, if they're going to let it go both ways, great. You live with it. You can adjust to that and play the game accordingly. I just thought their their meter was a little bit off on on the way the reality yeah. was was called, but not not as sharp sharply officiated a game as you would hope for. 
we have a guy who sits behind us at the Michigan State basketball games who is always complaining about the refs, like to the point where it's ridiculous. He's calling, you know, complaining we're not getting calls and it's, you know, we have four fouls against us and the other team has had eight. <laughs> so you're kind of like, you know, look at the scoreboard, dude. Uh, and I felt like this game, though, I was, I couldn't believe how, I think, you know, this is part of the problem with the Big Ten. I think it tends to be a little bit more physical, bigger players, A-10 obviously smaller. And so when there is contact, it's more dramatic, I think, when these these A-10 players hit, they kind of bounce off them, right? And so what would have been, I think, a contact that would be normal for, uh, like when Malik Hall's going in and then they call a charge on him, which I thought was a crazy call that he just was going up. I mean, there's maybe his arm extended a little bit, maybe, but it was pretty weak. And they called a foul on that. And the other end, like you said, AJ was hit a couple times, but he's so strong. He just goes right he just goes right through it. They just kind of bounce off of him. But that still should be a foul or contact, even though you can finish easily. You would, you, I don't, you would, hope, yeah. you would hope so. I, I do think there can be something to that. Uh, classic example of it was tonight, for those listening, who I would imagine a lot of us watched the Illinois-Chattanooga game. And, and look, I'm not here to defend Illinois at all. I don't like that program right now. I don't really... I don't have a, I don't think very much of Brad Underwood. Um, I'm not going to bore you with the reasons why, but I just think he's kind of a clown uh, and, and not a guy who, um, if he's saying something publicly, it's usually going to be the wrong thing in my opinion. <laughs> and he basically almost did that tonight. But to the point that all said, if I were Kofi Coburn, I don't know. God bless that kid for having, the poise to not just knock two or three of those Chattanooga players into the hospital because they, and he still got a lot of fouls called, but honestly they could have called a foul every single time down the, the, the contact that Chattanooga got away with, with their much smaller players was insane during stretch yes. that game. It reminded me of the way, you know, I think the NBA should thank its lucky stars that Shaquille O'Neal basically is a good natured guy because it's the same <laughs> people used to just absolutely pound him for 48 minutes. And the fact that he never put anybody into the hospital is amazing to me that he had that much um, awareness and resiliency to keep his cool. So I, but I think part of the reason that they let it go is what you're talking about. Kofi Coburn is a gigantic human being. And these guys from Chattanooga are relatively mortal, kind of like the, the Davidson guys are. And it doesn't look the same when he yeah. gets hacked or when AJ Hogard gets hacked as it does when Foster Lawyer gets hacked. It's a different reaction physically. So I think, but you know, these are NCAA officials who have supposedly earned their way into this job, this game. They ought to be better than that. Yeah. Well, I feel like even when it comes to Big Ten games, you watch Kofi Coburn. I mean, he's always getting mugged. And and the same thing was with Isaac Haas before. You have but these it, big, but, huge, just monster but, guys. But it gets called more regularly in the Big Ten. That's my point. I, yeah, every game there's going to be something that goes by, but not like this. This was great. Did you watch any of that game? I watched I watched a lot of it, but I, I I'll be honest. I pretty much just watched Curbelo and just his lunacy what he's doing on the court. I mean, <laughs> That's another, the guy. I could talk about that for days. Right, That's another. Subject. I know. Oh, what a, we were when we were at the Big Ten tournament. We just would, every time we had the ball, we just yell shoot, and it was actually kind of funny because you know. <laughs> yeah. and, anyway, but that's. I I do think this was not a shining example of a of a well officiated game. 
in in my opinion yeah. for some crazy moments but thank god they got that block charge right well let's go i mean obviously we've talked about guarding the arc i think as far as the keys of the game and as always you what know if, the unpredictability of games three what was there what's that and davidson's three-point percentage uh it was pretty good let me get it, it was uh i think 40 some percent Oof. i think i think they ended up they hit a, i think we ended up with the same amount of threes I've just got to get it up here. My computer kind of shows that the screen comes and goes sometimes, but they were, they, they were 40, they're 30% in the second half. But I think part of that's because they're jacking up the threes at the very end there to try and kind of catch up. So for the game, but end up, sorry for the game, they were they're They're 40% from the game. So oh. they were 10 of 25. Yeah. So you gotta, you gotta give Davidson the edge there. Um, and as I said, I, I felt like Michigan state, you know, there were a few threes that they took that were ill-advised. There was one in transition when they had gotten the lead late and, and they got into, let's call it semi-transition, and Gabe pulled up and fired. Not a good shot yeah, because it came yeah. quick at a point where you really want to work the clock and get a good shot. Um, and there were a handful of others. I just thought Michigan State got a little seduced into that as opposed to really trying to exploit the primary weakness of Davidson's defense, in my opinion, which was the fact that they, they really struggled to contain the dribble and stop people around the rim. I mean, MSU also did get some things done in the post, but not nearly as much as I think they could have, you know? Yeah. Just a lot. Well, I think, you know, you watch, you watch uh, Bingham and he, when he gets the ball in the post, this has been the problem his entire career, right? He's, he's pushed around even by guys who are, who are a lot, he gives up a couple uh, they give up a couple inches on him and he's, he's receiving the ball so far out. He can't, and he can't back piece someone down to get anywhere closer. And so it's always like a, you know, fade away jumper from 12, 14 feet or something. And, but he really, but I think, but I think that, you know, Hauser actually did some damage on the block, which was good to see. Absolutely. But I think he yeah. and Malik and Julius marble didn't get enough touches. That's my, the, the shot distribution. I would take a little issue with, I think Michigan state, got seduced into taking a few more threes than they should have. And conversely didn't exploit Davidson around the rim, especially when their big kid was out. I mean, he's not a great shot blocker, but he averages about one a game. He's the only rim protection they have. Why yeah. in that last 12 minutes of the first half when he was sitting, did MSU not go much more relentlessly down low? I, I don't understand, but well, you know, it's it it's what you see an open shot, and it's a shot that we've been making most of the season, the threes, right? And and they're and good shooters, right? I mean, it's not like we've got. I mean, Hogarth launched two, but I mean, most of them are good shooters, and they're you're just right. you're you know, right, just but, missing them. But I think that's that's what I'm saying. That yes, though you're right about that. Those are good shooters taking what are reasonably good shots for the most part. But when it's one and done time, I think you have to have a little more poised than that and realize, especially once you've started to figure out that maybe you're not dialed in either as an individual or as a team. And I don't think MSU ever fully got that message. I mean, there were stretches even in the second half when they were, when they were doing well, where I, they went away from Joey and I didn't understand it. Davidson had no answer for him today especially <laughs> yeah. when they had the jones kid guarding him that's who joey really abused kids just not big enough and msu would then they'd have some success with it and they'd go away from it 
And that's when you get, for the most part, people talk about MSU's offensive lulls. And I, I tend to believe that those lulls get started almost exclusively by poor shot selection. It yes. is what MSU is, is clicking offensively. And then somebody takes a really ill-advised shot and then it just kind of snowballs a little bit. Um, and I thought that was the case today. They went away from something that was, and I say that on a day with Joey Hauser at 27, but they went away from him during stretches where I think it was probably a mistake to do so. Yeah, no, I think that, and you're right. I think those, it's a, sometimes those quick wide open threes, you miss it and then you get a long rebound and then you have the team coming down and you're not quite set defensively and they give yep. up another bucket and suddenly you get up two scores in a row and you got a little momentum going oh, against you. Exactly. It just snowballs. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, obviously the Senki was pick and roll defense or uh, offense. And I think without a doubt, it was pretty good. I mean, I think the one thing, I don't know if we spoke about specifically, I would have expected a couple lobs to Bingham and we never saw that at all. Uh, but we did see how um, Hogard really exploit the pick and roll of Foster Lawyer and, and actually the other guards too. We did. And uh, so I think they're pretty good. They did. They, you know, certainly when you look at how AJ fared, um, I, and they also were able to get Joey some pick and pop stuff. Um, I would say I was kind of surprised they weren't a, what they weren't able to do that I thought they would is they weren't able to get Davidson switching a lot because when I watched them against Richmond, they switched a lot. And they, I didn't see that in this game, as you mentioned, AJ Hogard taking Foster Lawyer to the hole. Well, that's the guy guarding AJ Hogard. I thought we'd see a lot more of their five, whomever it was at a given point in time, ending up switched onto AJ and that AJ could take a bigger player to the rim because. Davidson had been kind of hard hedging. I didn't see a lot of that. So I think they made a little bit of an adjustment there to not switch. And, you know, part of it too is something that I don't think a lot of, a lot of fans fully appreciate is over the years, Michigan state is generally not just a good screening team. They are an outstanding screening team. And I think sometimes, especially more casual fans, don't realize how important that is. This MSU team is not a very good screening team, in my opinion. Uh, the best screener on the roster last year was Thomas Kithier. He's gone. Um, and I'm not saying that's a reason why Thomas Kithier needed to return and be on this team. But I am saying that's illustrative of the problem. You know, um, Marcus Bingham... Julius Marble, Joey Hauser occasionally will set reasonably good picks, but it's inconsistent. And I'm not even just talking about the moving screen calls that, that they generate. Uh, I'm talking about quality of pick. And I, I, I'd have to rewatch the game tonight to know if that was a major part of the problem. But I was surprised that Davidson wasn't forced into more switching because that's where I really thought MSU would. I, I think I mentioned the, the comparison I had in mind going into this one was Michigan, the first game at Breslin, where Michigan had Hunter Dickinson hard hedging, ending up getting caught in a lot of switches, and AJ Hogard just torturing him. Instead, AJ Hogard ended up torturing Foster Lawyer. So we'll take it. The results were similar, but it didn't play out exactly the way I thought it would. Is that a little bit too because they know that Hogard can't shoot and so you can go under that screen and so it's a lot easier to not get stuck in that switch? Absolutely. Um, I, I went on yesterday afternoon 
uh, after we had done our preview, I went on Jack Ebling's show and he brought that up. He said, you know, we talked about it a little bit. He said, well, what happens? You know, Bob McKillops won a few games. He's been around a while. What happens if he changes the coverage? And my response was, well, yeah, if he changes the coverage, then that might be a problem. And it might mean you need Tyson Walker more. Hope he can play. Uh, but my <laughs> response was at this time of year, most coaches don't tend to change stuff up that they've done all year long. You know, like you don't see a team that doesn't press all year long, spring a press on somebody just because they happen to have uh, questionable guard play, you know? Um, yeah. But something like that, pick and roll coverage is maybe a little, and, and I got to be honest, I haven't seen enough of Davidson to know if they have switched that up occasionally, but all I know is I think they did some of it tonight and it probably as, as much business as AJ Hogard got done, that might've saved them from giving up even more. Who knows? Yeah. Well, and they definitely switched defense a little bit because the second half, they just started doubling Hauser because he was yeah. just torturing, them, torturing them. And they, Absolutely. which, you know, made him outlet. And when no one's hitting shots, cause you've got the open threes, you know, it's obviously a good defensive move. Yep. The, the next key course was turnovers. And you know, I, I hate to say that Michigan State solved the turnover issue because they definitely had a couple boneheaded ones, but not many. I mean, right? They have seven turnovers. Davidson had eight, and so that's an absolute win. Yeah, there's absolutely no question about it. If you had told me the Michigan State commits seven turnovers in this game, I would have thought Michigan State had an outstanding chance to win, and they did barely uh, win the game. Uh, but yeah, I you're right, and and look. I think that the Maryland game actually distorts what has been an improving picture in that area for probably about a month. Now, unfortunately, what it goes to show you, and this is something I have had great difficulty getting many MSU fans to understand. For most MSU fans, turnovers have become an obsession. Okay, and the reason MSU is struggling is because they turn the ball over. What the last month should show you is if you look at it, honestly, objectively, turnovers have been less of an issue. It's been they've been especially good lately. The Wisconsin game, the Purdue game was the two best of the year. And this tonight, I think, ties the Wisconsin game for the second lowest number of turnovers in a game this entire season. So that's the top three turnover performances MSU's had all year have come in its three most recent games. Knock on wood, we see a fourth. Uh, but, uh, and, and I would say it's been steadily getting better over the last month, yet we can't say Michigan State was getting steadily better over a lot of that time. The other problems they've had, particularly defensive rebounding and all too often defense in general, much, much more impactful in terms of whether this team wins or loses. I'm not saying that you can throw the ball around 20 times and hope to win, but it's never been as important as, as many MSU fans believe it to be. And if you don't believe me, check the record books over the years because Michigan State's always a poor turnover team. To varying degrees, they are always bad, and there are a lot of banners hanging up in Breslin. So it tells you, true. you can, you can have a turnover problem, but what you can't have is a turnover problem or a semi turnover problem. And also rebound defensively at a horrendous rate. Don't guard well enough. 
those are the things that get you beat. Um, all that said, my little spiel there, um, it was important tonight because you knew Davidson wasn't going to kick it around. Davidson averages 9.8 turnovers a game. You said they had eight, so they were actually yep. slightly better than their already very good performance level on the season on average. And yet Michigan State bettered them. And that's a tremendous accomplishment. I mean, MSU had two turnovers in the second half. That's it. That's that's pretty phenomenal in a game, especially in a game that was so tightly contested where every, you know, it, it, I keep using the Wisconsin comparison in regard to Davidson just because it's the handiest one um, in terms of teams that play that general style uh, for MSU fans. And if you think about most of the Wisconsin games over the last 20 years, they're generally ones where the importance of every possession is magnified because there are fewer of them and, and, and the games tend to be tightly contested. So each play has maybe a little bit of a magnified import from that perspective that, you know, like you said, when you were worried about, and I was right there with you, when you were worried about Davidson, maybe being about ready to put the hammer down, it was a four point game. That's it. Right. Yeah. But it, but it felt that way. I absolutely agree with you. So in a game like that, to only have seven turnovers, well, that's a big deal. Yeah, and I would say the one the biggest difference I think too with the turnovers issue is you don't the the just the dumb self self inflicted you know stepping out of bounds on a pass uh, you know on the the corner those things have just sort of kind of gone away. There's definitely been. I don't know. They're just better at that, which is for sure. Which has been, which is, which is the momentum killing, right? When you have, when you're suddenly doing really moving well, and then you have some of those dumb turnovers. You can one I, of our. I was oh, going to say you can live um, with sins of commission. The sins of omission are the ones that get you, and and that has absolutely been the case with Michigan State this year. If you get a turnover because you're on the break and point guard happens to throw it a little off kilter and it gets it sails out of bounds okay you don't love that but it's not the end of the world that's not what we've seen from msu most of the season when it was a real problem yeah well when then the other thing was a free throw battle i mean one of the concerns was this really good free throw shooting team is uh davidson going to do well and obviously early on there we should say it and to your point earlier, we're not really attacking inside the paint much, or at least not getting calls, right? Yeah. And so we had very few free throw attempts until the end of the game, where at which point they were just trying to foul to, to slow down the game and get some extra possessions. What? What? So we, we actually ended up 11 to 15, and I know we missed the first two. So after those first two, uh, I think those a Hogard missed the first two in the first half. Then after that, we were 11 of 13, so yep. really good. And Davidson was, was 7 of 12. So okay. pretty aside from Foster Lawyer, who's five of five, they were not good. They were they were two of five outside of or two of seven outside of Foster and, Lawyer. And they had guys who are good free throw shooters. Well, the big kid is the closest thing to a poor free throw shooter they've got. He missed a few. Um, but yeah, they had some good free throw shooters missing free throws. Um yeah, the, the end of the game, I guess, maybe distorted that picture a little bit because I do think Davidson had a slight advantage, but I will say for a, for a Davidson team that's pretty good, and I'd have to I, I I didn't think to check before we started what Davidson's seasonal average was in terms of free throw attempts, but I know where they ranked nationally, and it, it it's reflective of a number. They were in the top 100, so 
I would assume their average is probably somewhere in the low 20s, probably 23 or so per game. So using that as a, a guesstimate uh, for them to only get maybe half of those attempts, MSU did a pretty good job not fouling unnecessarily often. And even with some, and, and some of the foul calls they got were, as I say, questions. Yeah. If you if you were officiating the game around the rim the same way, right? And and then we look at transition. Not much. I think we thought there was going to be a lot more transition opportunities for against Davidson in this game. Of course, part of that is you got to clean up the defensive boards and then and move. I felt even with AJ was in there, he was never really pushing very often. Like he oh. only pushed when he knew he had a big advantage. There were a couple baskets when um, they had it with both when he and Walker were out there and they Gabe got that quick run off to on the left side and he got an easy two. And then we had a couple, maybe one or two threes uh, or at least three attempts on some threes. I know Gabe hit one of them, but there wasn't a whole lot of transition. I think, you know, when you look at the numbers, I know these are always never the most accurate. So they had Davidson with nine fast break points and uh, we have state with 14. So it felt like huh. that. I think we had more than they did. That's a little. That's a little more than I would have assumed. And you're right. I always question that the, the <laughs> numbers. They, they don't often make sense. And I have to be honest with you. Both ways, fourteen to nine would not have been my guess. If you told me before, I would have way a, less. I would have. Oh, I would have said six three, something like that. Yeah. That that seems overly generous. The because the only pure transition basket I remember State scoring was Gabe Brown. On that lay-in, he, streaking down the left the left wing, and they got him the ball, and he just went hard to the rim and finished. Other than that, I don't remember a lot of opportunities. I, I would say if you're Bob McKillop, if you took those numbers seriously, you're not thrilled, but you're not totally crestfallen. I, I think Davidson did a reasonable job uh getting back and limiting how much MSU was able to do this, whatever the fast break number is this was clearly not a, a 94 foot game and that's no oftentimes that is what we see with Michigan State especially in a first round NCAA tournament game where they're playing a team that's usually not as talented as they are usually not as athletic and who isn't used to seeing it and I thought Davidson held up pretty well in that regard they didn't let Michigan State, kind of run them out of the gym the way we've seen sometimes in, in other NCAA tournament games. Yeah, I feel that the times we sometimes struggle in transition in the NCAA tournament is when we're playing another Power 5 school that can match up with us athletically and with size, and that oftentimes with these smaller teams, you can kind of get things going because they're not they're not ready for that speed. They don't see that in their conference. But yeah, to your point, I mean, Davidson did a good job of at least either it was them or it was us, but uh, they actually gave some trouble on the boards too. They had eight offensive rebounds, which is more than I think we probably would expect it except yeah. this season. <laughs> We're not quite as tight. How many offensive rebounds did MSU have? 10. So it yeah. was eight to 10. So we had two more than them, which I felt like there's a couple of possessions. We had all of them <laughs> It's like That's three or four true. in a row. That's true. I actually felt like uh, given the performances of these two teams over the year, that area is probably a marginal win for Michigan State. Davidson is a really good, I think they were eighth in defensive rebounding percentage, somewhere in that range. Very, very good. And for MSU to get 10 offensive rebounds, is it was surprising to me. 
that they were that effective. Davidson getting eight, yeah, they're a terrible offensive rebounding team, but we've seen Michigan State give up offensive rebounds to terrible offensive rebounds yeah. all year long. It's just kind of the nature of the beast. It's what seems to happen. Um, but for MSU to do that kind of work against, again, a disciplined team that plays a certain style that that lends itself to that, to, to terminating possessions at one missed shot – that's that's good work. And I, I mentioned earlier, I thought Joey Hauser was really active. If I remember correctly, I think Bainham had a had a put back for a bucket. Um, they did yep. good things there. And uh, I think I think the one possession I think you're referring to in particular where MSU had, I think, three offensive rebounds on one possession. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of. Warm. That was late. That's late. When we were kind of pulling away a little bit. Right. And, uh, and I, they just seemed. Yeah. I felt like it kind of wore him down with that possession. Yeah. So overall, I think, you know, defensively played pretty well. I think just to, for Michigan State fans, this might be Foster Lawyers. They He's listed as a junior during the game, but I, my hunch is this is probably his last game. And I think you suspect that he might be on our bench next year. I thought he looked really tight to start that game. I don't know what your impression was. He was kind of pressing a little bit. I think he was really struggling and he never really got in the flow and, I think partly, I think our familiarity with him helped us more than his familiarity with the team. Yes, I would, I would agree with that. Uh, there's a, there's a guy who posts on the Spartan Mag board, who uh, was a parent of a teammate of Foster's at Clarkston, and he has always had very, very good intel uh, on on Foster. And he posted earlier in the week that there's no final decision that's been made, but from what he said, I think your intuition on this is probably correct. I think that's probably the end of Foster's playing career. Uh, look, I mean, he goes out on a good note. You know, he, he went out on a, a team that won a regular season conference championship. He was its leading scorer, and he got to play in the NCAA tournament again. That's a hell of a final year, you know, after the way that his MSU run went, especially his last season where it started off well, and then, boy, the 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 shoulder injury just kind of ended. Yeah. He tried to fight through it, and I think his numbers took a hit because of that. He was just not, not capable of shooting anymore. Um, so for him to end on this, even in a loss to Michigan State, I still think it's been a hell of a final act for him. And so if I were guessing, I would guessing he's done. And who knows? There is a very distinct chance that he could end up back at Michigan State as a grad assistant. I hope that happens because – one thing, and I, I saw Foster Lawyer play a tremendous amount during his high school years. I probably saw Foster Lawyer between high school and AAU. For someone who doesn't live anywhere near Clarkston, I probably saw him play between the two, high school and AAU, over the four years he was there, 30 times, something like that. A lot, a lot, lot, lot. And he is a very smart, he's a very smart kid and he's a very, I think he's a very um, intelligent basketball player. His issues ended up having to do with physical tools. And I, I had thought that his intelligence would be enough to get him past that in the big 10. Cause there are guys that have done that. Uh, he just wasn't able to do it, but I think he understands the game very, very well. And I think there's every possibility that he could be a really good coach and so I hope he comes back to Michigan State. I think Michigan State needs more and more guys 
from the the iso tree so to speak in the coaching profession you know yeah right i i i do think it's it, especially with his injuries last season and this season you got to figure out that at some point it's a guy who's already physically limited a little bit. Yep. Why not go out at this as this way for your last season? I think you, know, you led the country in free throw percentage, right? I, it makes sense, and I mean, I guess it depends what he wants to do, but I don't think there are even any graduate programs at Davidson, so he'd have to almost transfer. That, I don't even know if he can gra- well, graduate transfer again. I don't know. I hadn't thought about that, although I could have sworn that he graduated from Michigan State in three years. He might be getting another undergrad. I mean, that's he might be getting true. another bachelor's degree, right? I mean, that's entirely yeah. possible. I don't. Yeah, I'd have, have to be it. We don't have a grad program there. That's a boy, that's a real limiter. Um, Bob McKillop's got to petition them to get something started. I mean, in this. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I guess the next up is the Duke Blue Devils, who. I guess now we've got a two-game winning streak on them. We beat them in the that sort of that phony game uh, at the Cameron Indoor Arena last year. When was it last year? When Duke was sort of uh, terrible, and it was the Champions Classic, and they decided that Coach K didn't want to travel because you know right. COVID or something. Yeah, Un- unreal. Well, they've won two. MSU's won two of the last three because that game and the Elite Eight game in nineteen sandwiched. It's one I'd like to forget, but that oh, game right. Breslin in 20 yes. uh, where Duke just kind of ju- Tyus, uh, not Tyus Jones, Trey Jones just yeah. really, really dominated after, after Cassius had handed him his lunch in the tournament the year prior. Um, but two out of two out of three in bad against that program. If you're, if you're Tom Mezzo, Michigan state, and he's on a one game winning streak in the NCAA tournament after losing several in a row before that. So, yeah, this is going to be monumental. All I can assure you that the CBS hype machine is going to be generated through the way you have never seen anything like this for a Michigan State Duke game until you see this game. They are going to go nuts. And boy, wouldn't it be something if Tom Mezzo is the guy to end Mike Krzyzewski's career? Because I saw some of Duke tonight. I watched more of Illinois. They were playing at the same time. But I did see some of Duke tonight. They beat Cal State Fullerton fairly easily, but I was not impressed. I was not impressed. doesn't mean that they can't play great against Michigan State on Sunday because they're fully capable of that. They have great talent. But that is a team, especially defensively, I think they look very disconnected. And here's the other thing. Typically, and I would have to go back to confirm this, but I think I'm right about it. I'm pretty sure all of Kay's victories over Izzo have been in the first game of a weekend. Because he has the two final four victories were both national semifinals. I know that. Yep. Um, he beat Michigan State in a Sweet 16 in 2013. So that's the first game of a weekend. Um... And I'm, I may be missing one of them, but I know that the Elite Eight game, that is a, the one he's won, was in the second weekend. Now, Tom Mizzo is, I'd have to go back to confirm the statistics, but I believe if he's not the winningest coach of all time in the second game of a weekend in the NCAA tournament, he's right there. Right. Yeah. And 
that would make me a little nervous if I was K. Because here, here's the thing about K. And I don't think, you know, some people may deny this. I think they're delusional if they do. K's been kind of rolling out the balls for the last five or six years. Yep. See it show up in a lot of ways. Um, their, their defense, which has got, it used to be a strength for 20, 30 years. It was an absolute strength of Duke basketball. It has not been for most of the last decade. I think offensively, you know, he, he kind of went to that uh, fullback dive offense. It frustrated the hell out of everybody in that 2015 final four. And that was a legitimately great Duke team, but still that's how they played offensively. It was just, there was nothing to that. There was no coaching. It's like, Hey, get your man isolated one-on-one and just drive to the rim and flail and see if you get a call. It's I give me, I'm I'm certainly not saying I expect Michigan state to pull off the upset. This team has been way too volatile to feel confident in that. But I will say there's not a better coach in this situation than Tom Izzo. I believe that in history, second game of a weekend in the NCAA tournament. I think he's as good as there's ever been. And his line has always been to the players Get me through the first one. I'll get you through the second. Well, here we go. You're playing a team that I don't think is particularly well coached. Again, the the national media with the K Hosannas will never buy into that. But I think the evidence has been pretty clear on that front. Think about that 19 team that MSU took out. They should have lost in the Sweet 16. They barely got by Florida, right? That team was – and that was the most talented team he's had in the last 10 years, other than maybe the 15 national champion, that was it. And that team struggled. You know, I, I just don't think he's a great coach anymore. And, you know, there's some people that might say the same thing about Izzo. I think they're nuts, but they might. So we'll see. But I, I give MSU a shot. I really do. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And before we wrap up, I think let's just look at the Big Ten in general, because we had nine teams in the Big, in the big Ten into the tournament in the which is, I don't know if it's most ever, but it's a ton of teams. Yeah. How do you grade How do you grade their performance, the Big Ten? I, because I, it's always tricky because, you know, you expect, well, if you have nine teams, you should get a lot of teams into the second weekend. But if they're all seated really high or, you know, in the sense of their high numbers, you wouldn't expect quite as many to make it. We yeah. had we have six teams alive right now as of the first one because Wisconsin just pulled off and beat, uh, who they play, Colgate. Oh. They're playing, the tooth, as my son says, the toothpaste team. Um <laughs> So, so they, so we got Wisconsin, uh, Purdue, Illinois, Iowa flamed out, uh, which with Keegan Murray just disintegrated in that game. He was just terrible, which is, he's had a couple stinkers and that was, you know, that was their biggest problem. I think besides the other issues that they always had all season, um, Indiana was, I think, you know, I don't think there's much we were expecting from Indiana at this, in this tournament Rutgers, boy, they should have had that game and they, they didn't right? I mean, that's one of those things. So I think overall the and Ohio State won, Michigan won, and Michigan I think impressively won without their without Devontae Jones and who will be back I guess for the next game. So I think overall the Big Ten's looked okay the first weekend. Yes, I I think that you hit the nail on the head with part of the problem. The assumption is I guess that any Big Ten team is supposed to be favored in any first round game it plays. Well, if you believe that the seeds are reflective of a team's relative strength, that's not the case. Essentially, what we have is the Big Ten has held serve in the first round. 
all but one of the games where the Big Ten team was the better seed, the higher seed, which means the lower number, of course, won. So they, they, that was the case in, um, what would it be? So it would be six. Six of the games that were played, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and Michigan State was in that boat, Wisconsin, Illinois, Purdue, Ohio State. So that's five wins, Iowa being the only loss. But – the other three games were games where the Big Ten team was the underdog or should have been by seed. Michigan won theirs, so that cancels out the Iowa game. Indiana was a lower seed than St. Mary's. And to be honest, look, that game was – St. Mary's might have beaten Indiana anyway. They probably would have. But that's the definition of a the supposed scheduling travel loss. Indiana yeah. – um, had its flight delayed till four in the morning, the night after the play-in game they won, and then had to go from Dayton in the Eastern time zone all the way out to the Pacific time zone to face a team in St. Mary's that is a native of that time zone region. Yeah. Um, Well, I watched some of that game and I knew it was over because Indiana couldn't move defensively. And whatever you want to say about this Indiana team, that's the one thing they did very, very well all year long is defend. And they didn't have the legs to defend. So I don't even put that. They would have been the underdog anyway, but I, the fact they got blown out was not surprising because I just don't think they had anything left in the tank. Um, and then Rutgers, Rutgers was in a push game. It was a play-in game, two twelves, right? And they had every chance to win it. Probably should have won it, didn't, but that's not one you can say, well, that's a failure on the Big Ten part. So essentially it was chalk, except for Iowa and Michigan, and one of those was positive, one of those was negative. They cancel out. I think thus far the Big Ten has done okay. Six and three overall. In the win- Well, actually. Yeah, that's right. No. Well, I guess. Three because Indiana yeah. playing win. So 70. 70- right flip in the first round that's not so bad and there were a lot of people today carping about all oh, the big 10 sucks all the lower seeds played yesterday for the most part today we had michigan state ohio state wisconsin um purdue and, purdue and illinois now i will say i assume wisconsin won it in a tight one right yes yeah, they won by eight. Oh, okay so they pushed it out. I mean, well, seven, 67, 60, you know, um, high scoring game for could, them. You could say that, you know, Michigan State winning by one and uh, Illinois winning by a point. But that, I don't I don't put anything in the margin of victory at this time of year. Certainly not Michigan State's game. That's a 7-10 game. And, and the same thing for Ohio State beating Loyola in a 7-10 game. Those are that's essentially, you know, it's it's very similar to an eight nine. You're expecting that it should be highly competitive and they were highly competitive games, MSU's more so. But the fact that the Big Ten team won both of them, hey, that's you know, that's that's not to be sneezed at. There have been plenty of years where that doesn't happen. Um so I, I will say this. I think that Purdue has a real chance now. With Kentucky going out in that side of their bracket, yes, I got to tell you now. You know, maybe Chris Beard in Texas is going to make me look dumb, but I don't think so. St. Peter's wonderful story. Murray State is a fun team to watch, but I don't see those teams beating Purdue. Um, I think Purdue's got a real shot to get to at least the Elite Eight. 
which is big for them. And if they could finally get through to a final four for um, the first time since before Gene Cady was coaching, uh, that would be a hell of a cap to a year where I thought they'd been kind of disappointing, you know, relative to what I expected from them. It seems sort of dumb to say the hardest win is that first win, but especially when I think you're a higher seed of three or four, you're, sure. you're playing a, a semi-competitive team. I mean, a team that's not terrible. They're not, there's a team you, you expected to win, obviously, but getting that first win and then getting some momentum going to the, going to your next round, I think is really key for those teams. And so I think, yeah, especially a team like Purdue and Illinois, they just need to get that game kind of out of the way and kind of move on Wisconsin. I mean, I don't know. At some point, someone's going to catch them. <laughs> I don't know who it's going to be, but they've been, as we talked about, they've been gifted with a hell of a draw and, and playing these first two games in Milwaukee. And I, I believe they're getting Iowa state in the next game. They are yeah. Iowa state. They really should. Um, you know, and then you're in the sweet 16 and you know, you'll, uh, you'll, you'll see what happens from there. But, uh, I, I, I'm 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 certainly not sold on them being a good team, a, a team good enough at that level we're talking about. But uh, they've been gifted a very good situation. I I really despise Illinois where they're at right now. I really do. I think you mentioned Andre Curbelo. This guy and and Brad Underwood. If I was the AD at that school, I would have fired him based on the fact that he's playing Andre Curbelo all those minutes with the ball in his hands, when you have Trent Frazier out there and you're essentially using him as a decoy. It's, I don't understand. It's insane. Andre Curbelo is uh, a disaster as a point guard. And that I, I mentioned earlier, I think Brad Underwood says dumb things all the time or arrogant, under, arrogant things without any justification for it. Um, it's, it's made me convinced that that program for all the talent they've had the last couple of years is very, very fragile mentally and psychologically. And it comes from the top down and they, they just, just, just scrape by tonight. I don't think they're long for this tournament. I really don't. Um, I just have no faith in that team and I have no faith in that coach because he's dumb enough to put a, a guy who can't shoot and who's a walking turnover and hand him the ball and say, go quarterback us for 30 minutes. In a one and but Rod, they're Thanks. they are really creative turnovers. I mean, they're spectacular turnovers. I mean, where he's flipping it. He had six turnovers today. He had four assists and six turnovers, and one for which seven, actually one for seven from the floor. On top of that, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I'm impressed he hit that one. Right. It was funny when we were at the Big Ten tournament. I mean, you would. I almost wonder why Indiana just didn't let him shoot more. I mean, even if it was a layup, I mean, he's going to miss, he missed so many layups. My friend is a big, is an Illinois alum. And he kept saying he really likes Curbelo because again, he's flashy. He looks really great. He looks like he's a guy who's really amazing. Yes. And he's just, he just doesn't perform, doesn't deliver. That's, and I just want to go ahead. Uh, well, that, that point, I agree. I think he's the most creative player in America, but that's the problem. Because he tries to do creative things all the time. He's not Irvin Johnson. He can't pull that off. And he makes he makes the dumbest mistakes. He can't shoot. It's the, the fact that the Illinois fan base embraces him to me is perfect evidence of the fact that they're largely basketball illiterates. Because a guy <laughs> like that you should hate. Hate. 
that he's being given the ball for your team. When you have a fifth-year senior like Trent Frazier, who was so good and made that team so good all year long, that's the bit I don't get. Underwood had, even when Corbello had come back, he was limiting his minutes. He Corbello wasn't playing heavily. He was averaging, you know, 15, 18 minutes a game. Okay, it's still too many for me, but fine. All of a sudden, in a one-and-done scenario where you're being pushed to the brink, you decide Andre Corbello is the guy to bring you home. They won in spite of him. No question. Right. And if they yeah. keep doing this, they're going out. It's a matter of when, and I don't think it's going to be very much longer. I just want to say, I, to a great contrast here is between Curbelo and Hogard. We had a player, Hogard, coming into the summer. Had I told you back in June that A.J. Hogard would be playing 30-plus minutes, would be, would be, I mean, I guess here it was two and two, two, two assists and two terms. And I think most of that's just because people are missing shots. I mean, that's part of the, you know, you don't get assists when a guy, you get a hit a guy who's open, he just can't hit the shot. But who guy is instrumental in getting to the hole, defending. He's doing all the things I think we thought he had no, he wouldn't ever be able to do. I'm not saying he's, you know, I'm not saying he's Mateen Cleaves. I'm just saying he is rounded into a really, really solid player and one that I think has, uh, he has a ceiling that we haven't seen yet. And I think we might see him even move up even this tournament. Like he might even get better and he might be able to do more things. He still is not going to be able to shoot this year. I don't think that's going to suddenly occur. But I mean, a guy who is really knows who he is right now, which is really key. And I think that unlike a Curbelo who just doesn't really understand who he is. I'm, I'm done doubting him. I was the biggest AJ Hogard. I'm talking about back at the point that he was recruited offered and his commitment taken i hated it and i was very vocal about that because i i do believe you hear people deny this but i know better um it cost them jalen terry and people might uh, will say well ah, jalen what's jalen terry done and you know stops at oregon and depaul but i think jalen terry would have been an outstanding player at michigan state that aside uh based on that and the way he played last year, I was utter. I expected AJ to transfer, and I've heard Izzo say the same thing that they thought he might transfer over the off season. Um, I did not see a quality Big Ten player in there, and I am dead wrong. The last time I was this wrong about a Michigan State player, and this doesn't mean he gets to this level, was Draymond Green. I thought when Michigan State took a commitment from him that he was an out of shape and positionless player. I didn't know that positionless was going to become um, a, uh, a positive rather than a pejorative, <laughs> largely because of him. Uh, but that's the last time I was this wrong about a player. I'm with you. I don't think we can, I don't think we can discern yet where AJ Skilling is. I think it's a big off season coming for him. He's got to make strides as a shooter, but He's already shown that at a minimum, he can be a key component of a winning team, just as he is, because of all the things he does. Um, yeah. And that's a hell of a lot better than I ever expected out of him. And, I, you know, he and Carbello are both sophomores. Honestly, who would you rather have going forward? For me, it's not even close, not even in the same universe right now because AJ Hogard will make mistakes. He doesn't kill you the way Andre Corbello does. And he has, even though neither guy can shoot, 
A.J. Hogard has a way to get offense for himself that Andre Corbello doesn't. A.J. Hogard can take people to the rim and finish. And Andre Corbello can't do that because he's tiny on top of everything else. Yeah. Well, no question. And I think we'll probably end it there because it's a late night and it's been great. And I think, you know, from for me, it's looking at the season, especially where we were, let's say (laughs) five, six games ago. This is actually a very great way to, even if the season ended after this game, you know, after the Duke game, let's say, I think this has been a pretty successful season from where I think probably expectations were. I think it's, they've looked good. They've, and, and to get us to get a win like this is really satisfying to finish the season. I think, you know, you'd hate to go out, look getting blown out or something like that, or the UCLA finish was really disappointing just because they worked so hard to get in. And then they just, you know, cut out free throw and you go down. And so yeah, I'm with you. I think that look, and that's not to say that they don't want Duke very badly. I want we all want Duke very badly, and I think Michigan State can get it. I, I don't rule it out by any stretch, but I think what this game did is lock it in that this season was not um, a continuation of last season's struggles. They were a little better in the Big Ten. They got a better, they did better in the Big Ten tournament, certainly. They got a better seed than they did last year, and now they've won a game. So those are all signs of progress. And I think that, you know, as we spent so much time talking about AJ Hogard, the other thing you got to feel good about is that some guys that you're hoping are going to be cornerstones of the program going forward the next year or two are having a lot to do. And and look, we don't know for sure with Joey Hauser whether he's done or yeah. I've been, I've been very happy with the way Joey Hauser's played this year. He hasn't had many games like this one, any games like this one, but I think Joey Hauser from January on has been a pretty good, pretty reliable player. And I'd, I'd absolutely welcome him back. Um, but yeah, I'm with you. It's, it's definitely not a downer no matter what happens, but I still think there's upside here and who knows, who knows? Well, I mean, St. Saint, Saint Peter's shows you that anything's possible, and, yeah. and we're certainly much better than St. Peter's, Yeah, and we're taking a team that's much more flawed than the Kentucky team, Absolutely. right? So, so I was going to say. We'll, we're going we're gonna, to uh, wrap it up here, and we'll, we'll come back to you pretty soon with the pregame for the Duke game and the, the round of 32, I guess we're calling it now, the second round, and uh, go green. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.